0: We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health.
1: Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast, brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care. I am Scott Guthrie, a neonatologist and the infant medical director of TIPQC. One of the things I like so much about these podcasts are the interesting people we get to have conversations with about topics that can help improve care for mothers and babies, not only in Tennessee, but anywhere else where this podcast is being listened to. At times, these conversations on our podcast may be more relevant to those of us who work with mothers and babies. Other times, we like to hear from patients and learn from their experiences so we can provide better and more compassionate care. We've had some great interviews with parents and patients telling us about their experience and learning about how the healthcare system works for families in our state. Today's conversation is going to be a unique one, as we have a couple who are both healthcare providers but had to recently become patients. We're going to learn about what they all went through and what it was like being a patient, and most importantly, what we can learn through their experiences. Our guests today are Zach and Alex Zarzor. Full disclosure, I was involved in the care of their baby, and because I got to know them well, I wanted you to hear their story. During her pregnancy, Alex had some complications and wound up delivering their daughter, Leona, early at 27 weeks. This alone would be an interesting discussion, but both of them are also physicians and for the first time got to experience what it was like for both them and their child to be a patient. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having us.
1: Pleasure to have the opportunity. Well, as I already mentioned, both of you are in healthcare, both of you are physicians. So before we get into the details of your story, can you share with our audience what both of you do?
2: Yeah, we um, are both third-year family medicine residents with UT Jackson University of Tennessee in Jackson, Tennessee.
1: Tell us about your pregnancy. Uh, I mean, I think that's that's part of this story is is what was going on during this during this this time of your pregnancy, what all you were dealing with, and and what led to you being hospitalized.
2: Yeah, so I started off with my. I've had I've delivered all my babies C-section. I've had three previous C-sections three previous children, healthy, 39-week babies in Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's where my OBGYN was. So I wanted to go back there for care and just to have the same Not, – I'm not superstitious, but just the same routine thing that I've always had since they've gone well. And so I was seeing my doctor there for the first time at 10 weeks. I had our ultrasound. And she – you know, we we do ultrasounds in our clinic as residents, but we're not – we're not ultrasonographers. So she was doing the ultrasound and, and I kind of felt like I saw something or surrounding baby that was a little different. And so she she was kind of quiet. And so I knew there was something off. I didn't have any bleeding at that point. I had nothing. It was a normal pregnancy for me. I was working out a lot. I was taking care of myself. I, I wasn't worried until I was in that room with her. And then I, I, I pretty much Hard pressed her to tell me what she saw, and it was a massive subchorionic hemorrhage. And um, what that is is just a part of where the placenta implants onto the uterus. There's bleeding, um, and it's bleeding between the sac of where baby is and the uterine wall. And so, expect to have a baby at 35 weeks. And that for me, I mean, even being in the healthcare field, having three previous children, I I bawled. I was I cried. It it was alarming to me. I know the complications that can come along with having a baby, even just a few weeks early twenty four weeks and four days. And I woke up in the middle of the night to bleeding, and so I woke Zach up, and and we went straight to the emergency department. And at that time, I you know they did a speculum exam. I was still closed, said so there was you no know, obviously baby was not. I wasn't having a. Baby wasn't trying to come out at that point. I guess I'll just put it in some layman's terms. And they did an ultrasound and there was a new massive hemorrhage. And now this time it wasn't labeled a subcryonic hemorrhage. It was more a chronic abruption, which is where the placenta that's now fully formed that attaches to the uterine wall is starting to separate slowly and you'll and having fresh bleeding. And obviously that's the supply of blood for baby, so it can be very alarming. And But there's no way to know what's going to happen. The worst part about bleeding in the uterus is that it's active. It makes your uterus contract and you can go into preterm labor. I was put on magnesium, which hopefully calms down the uterus enough for you to get steroids for baby's lung maturity. And then I sat there. I sat there for 48 miserable hours. So when you're on magnesium, you don't eat. You don't do anything. You don't move. You just sit alone in a room, scared and, and sad and worried. I got the steroids and had a lot of different people, different physicians come in and see me, OBGYNs. I prayed nonstop. It was really hard. It was really hard being in there. And uh I try, I it, it's an emotion. It was an emotional time. It was it was the hardest thing I've ever been through. So I, after that, after I, the magnesium was done and the steroids, you know, had full time to take effect, obviously they they needed more time. The any more time that she could stay in there the better. I was put on bed rest in the hospital and told that if I didn't rupture, I could go home. And so I was, I, you know, another thing for me to cling to, I just clung to that. And I just thought, oh, if I can just, if I can just keep her in there, if I can just not move, if I can, I'll use a bedpan, I'll do whatever I need to do. You know, I won't shower, I won't move. And so I sat there for another week. We did another ultrasound. Obviously they were doing, you know, they were listening to baby's heart. They were monitoring that, making sure baby wasn't in any distress. I sat there for another week, and they did another ultrasound. Like I said, and there was no fluid. Baby's AFI or the fluid index around baby had gone down. I, they started antibiotics at that time to prevent an infection. For you know, I got that course, and then it was kind of like every day was just sitting, praying, waiting to hopefully not contract. And in that three weeks time, I contracted. I, I tried to go into labor. Three different times, three mm-hmm. additional different times um, in which the OBGYNs every time suggested that I have a section that day. And I, you know, I'm sitting there and it's like, it's like I have no medical training. I'm just completely having this out of body experience. I'm, I'm, I have, n- I'm, I can't respond to these physicians coming in here and that are offering me advice, medical advice and telling me what to do. I, I don't even know how to respond to them at this point. And so I was, at that point, I was really thankful to have Zach by my side because he's the most level headed person in my life always, but even more so at this time, we were able to keep her in there another three weeks. And so any day, every day, every hour matters to a fetus. So that was wonderful. But then, but then at 27 and four, it was a Sunday night. I was, you know, I, I just felt like very nervous that something was coming on. You know, you have this premonition feeling. And I was laying there and I started to have these cramps and the cramps got worse. And then, and, you know, and they continued to get worse. And the, then they became extremely painful. Nine out of, you know, 10 pain. And the bleeding was heavier than it had been. And so we made the call then.
3: Yeah. I went and found the OB hospitalist and uh, told him, you know, I think it's, I think it's time now we finally come to this decision.
2: By the time, obviously, you know, because of the situation and all of the bleeding, I mean, I was in the OR being cut within 15 minutes by the, I remember him telling us when he was, when he had finally gotten into the uterus, he said it looked like placenta soup. It was just, it was just full of blood. 50% of the placenta or less was still attached. The rest was just kind of floating around her. And then she was, she looked pretty good. She was, she was bigger than we expected, but she was also very swollen because she didn't have fluid in there for the last two and a half weeks of me, of her being in there. And so, and she was head down, which again, has never happened. I've never had a baby head down. She was, she, she was swollen and that, I don't know if that kind of helped her in the beginning, you know, her, her weight, her, she was probably the biggest 27 weeker that the NICU has seen in a while. And so uh, she had a full head of hair and she was beautiful and I could hear her cry.
1: Let's talk about that three weeks real quick. I do want to talk like what you remember. Actually, when she was born here in just a second. But what was it like for both of you? That three weeks of just sitting in a hospital bed for you, Alex and Zach. You having to go to work and drop by and see your wife and take care of the kids and everything else. That that's that's got to be hard.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, I would, if I could, I'd go back and I'd do all medical school, all boards, everything again before I would do this again. So it was, it was. It was just a lot of, a lot of time inside your head, you know, alone with your own thoughts and all the fears that you know from being a physician, what can go wrong. And, and then the fears of being a mom, you know, the, you always want the best for your baby and and you always want to know that they were going to have all the same things that you had and that their siblings have and every single thought that one can think you, you have to think in that three weeks. So you can, mm-hmm. you can fit all those terrible thoughts in a three week stay. Um, and so it was a, is a scary and lonely time. And then we, I obviously miss my children at home and they would come by and my two year old daughter, she's the youngest. She, she wanted nothing to do with me <laughs> mm-hmm. because she's so scared of the yeah. IV and the IV pole. And, and so she, and so that was hard too. I felt disconnected. You, you feel isolated from everything. I didn't want people I worked with visiting me. I was I was too mentally I was not okay enough to have people visit me. And so, it was just a it was a lonely, lonely time.
3: So, I think one of my main roles in this situation was to keep Alex calm for one cuz the more calm she was, the kind of the lesser yeah. the symptoms would be too. It seemed that way anyway.
1: Moms listen to these stories, these patient stories, and obviously healthcare workers do too. What would you tell a mom who might be listening to this right now, who's laying in a bed somewhere in a hospital, who who's wanting some words of encouragement, some words of inspiration from somebody who's been through this, as she's dealing with with these things in her head, these fears, these concerns? What What encouragement would you give her?
2: When you do get your baby home... It's like it was all worth it, Um, Mm -hmm. no matter what condition they come home in. And I would say that there's nothing that you can't do. You know, you just have to—I would would encourage her to pray. I think that's a huge part about laying in there. Listening to positive music. I listened to a lot of King and Country and a lot of positive Christian music. I tried to—I tried to really—I tried to put it in someone's hands that I thought could handle it much more than myself— um, and I think that's what a lot of faith is, and so I would encourage that. And I would just, and I would just let her know my heart hurts for her. Yeah,
1: well, wow.
3: and a couple of things that I think really brought Alex the most solace was uh, was one listening to success stories, reading about success stories, yes. because it gave her hope, gave us hope that that things were going to be okay. But uh, I think that that was one of the biggest things her mind running at 500 miles per hour. And I mean, that's going to happen. And, you know, it's kind of the brain's way of getting you prepared and learning more so that you can see comfort and understanding about the whole situation. And I would would just encourage these people just to don't be afraid to ask questions. Ask a lot of questions.
1: I mean, that's what these providers uh, are here for. What was it like being on the other side of that bed? and all of a sudden you've been a provider for the past several years, you're learning how to do that. And all of a sudden you are the patient. Both of you are. What was that like?
2: Like I said, it was, and I, and I'll stress it. It was not, it was an out of body experience. It it didn't feel like I was, I felt like I was on automatic. I was just, things were kind of happening around me, but I, I was in my head and, and my body, I just, I didn't have control over anything. I felt I felt like there was nothing I could do except, you know, obviously to pray and to listen to what people were telling me and, and not move and do everything that I could do. I did not feel like a provider laying there. So I guess this question is more
0: for him. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, um, as a doctor, you need to have empathy. You need to really kind of listen to your patient's story. Yes, they're going to come to you about symptoms maybe they've been having, but but we don't often get to the the overall root and cause of those symptoms sometimes unless we're really digging into kind of their personal lives and things like that. Having empathy, it kind of took that to a whole new level for us because we were in the situation and it kind of showed me that I don't, and all my patients, I don't know the full story, yeah. and and I need to, to take that into consideration more.
2: In time, and the visit, I mean, when they would come in, you know, I didn't want visits from anyone except for my children, for Zach, from Zach, none of the fellow residents, which I'm very close with, I didn't want them visiting, but when the physician would come in, that was my opportunity you know, we don't realize maybe our, maybe our visit is one of their most special visits in the day mm-hmm. in their hospital room. And, and it's their opportunity to get any sense of what's to come, what peace we can bring, anything we can answer, anything we can do, say, you know, would it be okay if I had a you know, sip of Sprite? And it, it's probably totally, you know, anything like that. And that may be the the best part of their day. And you'd, and until I was a patient laying there, I didn't realize, I thought, you know, they want me to, they want me to not turn the lights on, they want me to not pull down their sheets, they want me to bug them the least amount as possible, and they want me to get out.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Well, hey, let's uh you brought us up in your story right to the point Leona was born. So let's discuss that real quickly. What was it like to meet your daughter finally after so many weeks of worry and fear? What do you remember from when she was born? What do you remember that was going on? What do you remember when you first Set foot in the NICU, not as a resident, but now as a patient as a as a father and mother of a of a little
3: one. Uh, so for me, it was an emotional roller coaster. Alex likes to think of me as this level headed. I think on the exterior, I try to maintain that. <laughs> but on the inside, that's not always what's uh, what's happening. But yeah, it was an emotional roller coaster. You know, we had some great days in between of virtually no bleeding contractions. Uh, that's what made some of this confusing for us because <laughs> we're like, well, maybe it'll just go away again. You know, it came back. Maybe it'll just go away again. That sort of thing. And then it would happen again. And then, then the anxiety and stress and things like that would ramp back up. But yeah. anyway, we
2: never knew when we were truly going to be in the OR every, yeah. I mean, it, we felt like it was away 15 minutes away for three weeks, you know, is anytime in any minute, it was 15 minutes away. And so that's how, mm-hmm. so we, when we finally got there,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it all, it just, it, it all happened so fast.
1: Yeah. So when you first saw her, what did you, what did you see? Well, I mean, you mentioned, in the last time we were talking about your story, you mentioned you heard her crying. And then what? What do you remember? I
3: mean, she came out and like Alex said she was pretty big for her, her size, so I was pretty impressed by that. So and from my perspective, she looked good. Mm-hmm. She wasn't crying immediately, which kind of uh made me feel a little uneasy, but uh the uh, the NICU team obviously they were already in the in the uh, OR grabbed her, took her over to the incubator and and started working on her and stuff. And she started crying pretty hard, actually, which was uh, a, a relief. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. a, good. it was a big reassurance from us. But uh, but yeah. yeah, and then just, you know, the, the NICU team was, they were quickly working on her, but so calmly as well and and, and providing reassurance to me. And, and um, I felt really good about it. Obviously, it was a rush, a lot of adrenaline going on and uh, just had to remain calm because Alex was still over there with her abdomen cut open being more (laughs) size and she could see me so
2: and um and they wheeled her by me in the incubator so I could just take a quick peek at her before she went back and that was really hard because every baby I've had even in the OR they've they've I've gotten to do skin to skin because I'm big on that and breastfeeding and and um and she was she was I couldn't even touch her. I mean, she was so far away, and 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 we were. It's like she was in a different room, being in this incubator. And then I had to stay in there, and she was gone, and and Zach went with her. I, I insisted that he go, and and he wanted to, and and just to make sure she, you know, follow after, her, look at her, and see what all was going to happen. Obviously, she was going to require procedures and intubation. Um, and so I'm, um, and then I was in there in the OR all alone. And then I had to go to this waiting room for two hours, obviously, before I could go. And they would let me see her. And it was just it was absolutely the longest time ever. And I, I never wanted to be put asleep for a C-section. But in that moment, I, mm. I, I considered it. and I was like, is it too late to put me out of this? It was a traumatic experience that that went as well as it possibly could have.
1: Thank you so much for sharing your birth experience. This has been such a terrific look into what our patients experience. Let's pick up for a second podcast on your daughter's NICU experience. Thanks, everyone, for joining in on today's podcast, Healthy Moms, Healthy Babies.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T I P Q C.org, and click on Podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team.